Ideas, and I'm your host, Leela This. This podcast contemplates the rhythm of life as a piano teacher and music maker. Through illuminating interviews and transparent reflections, you'll feel validated, encouraged, and empowered. This is episode number 49 and features the first of several chats with one of my most popular guests, rock star piano teacher and innovative pedagogue, Charlene Chelsea Jarvis. If you've ever attended a music teacher conference, most likely you've rushed to make a music publisher showcase before the first session of the day. Perhaps you even attended one of Charlene's. A showcase is when music publishers invite a few of their star composers to share teaching tips as they play through their latest compositions. Usually, there's a gift bag with goodies for those in attendance as a reward for hopping out of a warm bed. I've got good news for you. Now you don't have to travel to a conference and wake up at the crack of dawn to catch the 8 a.m. conference showcases because Charlene and I are bringing the showcases to you. Get your earbuds and sneakers and listen in. Stay tuned as we round up our favorite holiday and ensemble pieces from a variety of composers, not just one publisher. And we even play portions of them. Each episode comes paired with a carefully organized list of pieces that features the titles and composers with links to videos and where to purchase the music. The list alone is worth its weight in gold, so make sure to head to the show notes after you listen in. Our conversation begins with tips from Charlene for prepping a successful ensemble concert. And I've got four parameters to follow when choosing a piece for any special occasion. Oh, and one more thing. My sincere apologies for the less than desirable sound quality. Listen to the end of the episode to hear the backstory. So before we get started, here's more about Charlene. Charlene Shelsey Jarvis is an independent piano teacher residing in Scottsdale, Arizona. She's co-authored numerous piano teaching materials as co-owner of TCW Resources, Three Cranky Women, which are internationally published through the Neil A. Chose Music Company. Since her arrival in Arizona, Charlene directed the inaugural Arizona Youth Piano Competition. She's active in the Phoenix Music Teachers Association and served on the state board as editor of the Allstate Publications. She's one of the very few to be selected as a featured teacher for the Yamaha Passport to Music program, which teaches piano on the Crystal Cruise Line. Now here's Leela's conversation with Charlene. Hello, Charlene. Welcome. So glad you're here. Thank you. It's always fun to talk to my good friend, Leela. Well, it's very nice to talk to my good friend, Charlene. And Charlene, we want to know, tell us what you've been up to. Uh, I know that you've had a trip to Europe, and I know that you had a little bit of an accident, but I also know that you've been rounding up a stellar list of showstoppers for us teachers. But before we get to those showstoppers, tell us a little bit about what's been going on with you. Well, I did fall Christmas Day, carrying my cute little grandson down the stairs. (laughs) He's fine. I protected him well, and I broke my wrist. Um, Got to wear a fun little exoskeleton that looks like I was um, a towel rack. But my wrist is fully recovered, and I can play. Um, I get sore after a couple of hours of practice, but, you know, who practices for two hours anymore? Not me. (laughs) Not me, but no. I um. 
my hand is my hand playing is just fine thank goodness that was a huge relief and um yes we did go to um Troy and I went to Amsterdam and to Norway which is where my family heritage is from at the beginning of the summer which was really great and um we've been home hanging out with grandkids and doing fun things so and then I'm excited to talk about all things Halloween and ensemble today because I just love duets and I'm excited to get back into teaching um, this year. So, well, and that's interesting that you say, yes, excited to get back to teaching. I'm excited to get back to what it was before being locked down. I was just telling you, I feel like I've been locked up and now I actually put a lot of my duet music downstairs in the storage room because like, oh, I'm not going to be using that for a while. I don't know. I just kind of gave up on things in some ways, or I was focusing on the bare minimum, you know, getting students to play at least. So I feel like this, this episode and this time with you is what invigorating me to move past just the solo repertoire and have fun again with ensembles. So thank you so much for triggering that. Yay, I think, you know, I think ensembles are such a huge deal. Pianists, um, you know, it's <laughs> piano playing is such a lonely sport. You uh, want to call it a sport. And mm -hmm. I think what helps my studio at least um, be successful is the camaraderie that we get in doing things together. And, um, you know, when you play in, in an ensemble or in a duet, they really learn uh, how to work together to follow a conductor, you know, because pianists, seriously, they think they're the boss of everything okay. and they don't have to do anything except stuff by themselves. They really have to learn how to listen to each other and to learn how to, how to follow someone else. And it's just such a good skill for them to do because a lot of them haven't had accompanying yet. And, you know, they just need to learn how to do that. So I love, I love ensemble for, well, that's one of the very many reasons that I love Well, let's go there next then, because you do have experience with leading ensembles and major ensembles. So tell us a little bit about that. Okay. So when, um, so my early years of teaching, I taught at Utah State University in the youth conservatory program, and we had, we called them monster concerts. So we had, I think, two to 300 students a year would come up and be in our monster concert. And we had 15, 20 pianos on stage. And, um, you know, they were, they were so fun. Uh, they were always just, just a riot. And if I remember correctly, back in the day, our students would come and we would prep, we would prep them. We'd get the music probably two months prior students would prep and they would show up on a Saturday and they would, we'd practice all day on Saturday and then they would have the concert on like a Tuesday. Wow. So we really only had one big, huge practice all day Saturday. And then we'd put this concert on and um, we had beat keepers, you know, that would sit at the edge of the piano and, and turning, doing page turns and, um, it was a moneymaker for the, for the conservatory. I'm not sure if they still do it that way, but that's how my memory serves. Okay. Then I moved down to Arizona and um, became a member of the Phoenix Music Teachers Group. And um, they ran a different program with a much tighter ship. <laughs> and there were no beekeepers. And I wasn't quite sure how that was gonna work. Um, 
but they invited me to be on the committee. And, you know, I, I became a believer and we have these two amazing um, co-chairs that run our, um, our program. And from what I understand, we have the longest running uh, ensemble in the country. We've been doing it 70, I think this is the 71st year of this ensemble. And we usually have about 400 plus students that do this concert every year. Wow. And um, they've got it down to a science, but you know, this ensemble, um, it's a year long process every, every year. They, um, yeah, take us inside that process once. What does that look like? Well, we start out, a, um, once the concert is over, a few weeks after the, the concert happens, we start choosing music for the next year's concert. We have a committee meeting and we sit down and go over what happened at the previous concert, pros and cons, what we liked, what didn't work. And, um, and we make plans for the next year um, and then make changes. And we have made a few changes. Um, we're, we've done lots of things where we have no problem changing things up if we need to. So the biggest um, few changes are the girls can wear pants instead of having to wear a dress, which is, been kind of a fun thing. Um, <laughs> but we here's a few things that we've learned. Um, so every conductor, we have like several conductors, not just one, but each conductor has a job. Everybody that's on the committee has a job that has to do something. And um, when we choose music, we are pretty careful to avoid um, three quarter time for the younger um, levels because we've just noticed that students in three, four time at, you know, these young levels can't seem to get it. <laughs> they really struggle yeah, with our um, world, right? Yeah. They just can't feel that three, that, you know, three beats. They just really have a hard time. We've also um, determined that, you know, ensemble is not for everyone. <laughs> and we like our students to be, um, age eight and older and have at least a couple of years of piano lessons before they sign up to be an ensemble. So brand new beginners don't get to jump in. Um, nice. Also, when we, <laughs> yep, when we choose our music, they have to be equal part because you know what? Nobody wants to do boom chucks the whole time. No. Yep. So each, each part has to have their own turn. Oops. Sorry about that. Each part has to have their own turn to have the melody equal amount of time. Um, and we've also noticed that these beautiful lyrical pieces, um, students don't seem to want to play them very often. <laughs> so we always have a few of them on the program, um, but we don't have as many just because generally if you have a pounder, somebody who just bangs the piano, they just ruin the whole piece. <laughs> and um, we don't have a very good registration because students don't sign up and want to do them as often. So we don't have as many of those um, on our on our program. So those are kind of the things that, that we've learned over, over the years. Um, Who chooses the music for the program for the year? So our committee, we have a nice large nice. committee that we get together with and we have a big stack, everybody on the committee. Actually, anyone that's in our music teachers organization can submit music for us to look at. And we all play it together. We have a reading session and we all sit down and just play the music and decide what we like, what we don't like. But we all have to vote on it. And I've had things that I'm like, oh, this would be so great. 
and then it's not great. For example, <laughs> Kevin Olson, who I love, and we do his music all the time. Wow. He has a great arrangement of Bohemian Rhapsody. It is awesome. We thought we were going to do it, but you know what? We sat down and played it and played it and played it. And you know, it's really hard. Mm. And the thought of trying to get a bunch of teenagers to be together and have it sound really good and have it be really great. We just decided it would be too much work. <laughs> well, I have a rule about ensembles. I feel like they need to be relatively easy. And I mean, easy, meaning a couple levels below what they actually can play. Do you feel that way too? Yes. Well, you know, both of us have a list of four things. I was noticing you, your list starts with A's and my yes. list starts with the letter E. Why don't you do your list of A's? Okay. So my list of A's, when I'm talking about choosing a piece for special occasions, I think, you know, we could talk about choosing a piece for like Federation Festival or something like that. And those would be months before all that kind of stuff. But usually, you know, for Halloween, oh my goodness, it's just right around the corner. So we don't have very much time. So that's what I mean by special occasions where you're, you're whipping something together pretty quickly. So yes, I have four A's. First of all, it has to be appealing, which means it must be chosen and adored by the pianist. I will have a selection and they can choose the one that they like. So yes, I am giving them some, some parameters, but for the most part, I want them to love it because if they don't love it, they're not gonna practice it. And then it has to be accessible. And what I mean by that is that it has to have a clear form, an A section, a B section. There has to be some patterns in it. And a, a lot of times I teach these special occasion pieces by rote or partially by rote, just so that they get the hang of it and start enjoying it right away. And so if, if there's a piece that doesn't allow me to teach by rote, and that would mean, you know, like a Bach minuet, I would not teach by rope because that's very polyphonic. So I'm talking things that have lots of patterns. One hand's pretty easy. Left hand's just a little bit more. I'm sorry. Right hand may be just a little bit more difficult. And I'm talking about, you know, early elementary through even intermediate. I want it to be something they can grab onto pretty quickly. And then it has to be achievable. So that means it must be performance ready within the time frame. And sometimes that's hard for us teachers to, to know, is this going to be achievable in a short amount of time? And so then I have one more thing. I, I follow this rule of a bridge over abort, meaning I can always trim it down so that there's still success and that the students still like it instead of saying, oh, we got to throw this one out. It's too hard. So I'd rather trim it down. We can, you know, throw out a section C, just play A, B, A, something like that. They're happy. I'm happy. They're still playing the piece. So those are my four A's. So we'd love to hear your four E's. Well, don't you find too, back to your number three achievable, that, yes. you know, the longer I teach, the longer I realize that, you know, every student's a little bit different, but you really need longer than you think sometimes. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yes. I, and I always panic. I think, okay, I'm going to start earlier. And I think I do. And then I really don't. And then I'm always a little bit panicked, but then, you know, they tend to pull it off, but that's sometimes it's because practicers procrastinate until they have that deadline coming, you know? So I have to tell myself that too. I may have started on time, but some people just don't practice like they should be. So I know. Right. Well, my, so here's my tips for successful ensemble okay this yes. choosing choosing music and they're they're pretty similar my first thing is is energy the piece has to have energy 
And it just means that it has to have um, an element of excitement to it. If, if the piece, and that could be a lyrical excitement too, if it's just a blah piece, it's not going to go and the, the, the um, audience isn't going to be excited about it either. And we've found that our audiences really like to hear pieces that they know. So it's always great to have a good Disney piece or a popular piece. And generally, I'm the dork that gets up and dresses up in a costume every time. Nobody else does that. Oh, so, really? You're the only one. Okay, because I'm always impressed. And you so. know what? I will do ridiculous things. One year, I rented, we did a Star Wars one, and I rented a Chewbacca costume. It was I awesome. And it, I spent $250 on, <laughs> like, the real, like, the real Chewy one. It was, it was awesome. Oh. It was great. So, I, you know what? I will do anything to get, but the piece has to sound good, you know. The piece sounds great, and if you can look the part, it just makes the concert so much more fun. So, E for energy for the first one. The second thing that's super important is they have to be equal parts. We talked about that already. Just because, you know, if you're registering two students, again, nobody wants to be doing boom, bop, boom, bop, boop. You know, that's really boring, and we're not gonna learn anything. Um, the third E's, you, um, I don't want a, a student to be spending the whole year working on a duet. Right. <laughs> it's just, I, my students have too many things to do. They're always working on something and ensemble is just one part of something that they're doing. And I always choose ensemble music that's like two levels lower than what they're doing. So it's a fun thing so that they can, it's easy to play so that they can focus their time listening to where the melody is, listening to their partner and watching a conductor because Oh my gosh, that's a hard thing to do. Right. <laughs> and then the last part is excellence. Um, they have to work on that final product, which is a superb dynamics, being able to follow a conductor, getting fermatas, making it really an amazing, um, excellent piece, getting it that final, final bit. And we've found, as I'm sure um, most other ensembles out there, sometimes you have all different levels of um, teachers and students that enter thing enter into these uh, programs and I found that students some students aren't as prepared as they should be and so you might find that um, someone's technical skill is not as good as another's and you might have a really fast 16th note passage or something and we just cut we just cut them out you know and have oh I think just this one piano is going to play that 16th note passage uh, okay so that's how you control that yeah. all right so you, we might even do it at the beginning like for example this year we are doing um one from Hamilton you'll be back dun 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 bum bum and it's super fun but as we um have prepared one of the things that we do to prep for our ensemble is the conductor submits conductor notes at the beginning of the year. And um, we go through pretty extensively and make a good list of how to set their music up and um, make lists of what to look for as they practice. And we discover, oh, we have um, three against two. That might be kind of tricky. I think we're gonna avoid that altogether and just have one part just do half, you know, just change it to a half note and not even mess with it <laughs> because yeah, I'm so glad you say that because that's what I mean by a bridge that, you know, take out the stuff that you know is going to be a stumbling block. 
the audience is not going to know any difference, right? No, they, don't, they don't even need to know. And if we can, and if the teacher reads that ahead of time and they solve that before we even go in, oh. that that's what we do. So, and the other part that, that we've done is um, all the parents, by the way, if they're entering our ensemble, they have to read and sign and initial a whole bunch of rules before they can do it. Meaning you have to wear a dress, you have to abide by the dress code, which is... This is an ensemble, so you need to look. This isn't about you or about your kid. It's about the group. So you need to all look the same. So they all have to wear black and white. And then it, we just itemize what they're supposed to wear. And they're required to go to all the practices. And if they don't go to the practice, they aren't playing. Really? So they have to go to all of them? Yes. In the past, we've let them miss one. But this next year, um, they're... We only have three practices and one of them is submitting a recording. So that one's not really even going anywhere. So they, it's, they can show up to two practices because it's pretty important that you have to learn how to play together. You know, two practices to following a conductor, you, gotta be, you have to show up to two practices. So I have a question about the conductor. I noticed that I had a student who was going to play with a choir and he was not used to watching a conductor. So I was just practicing conducting in front of him. And, you know, he was kind of getting wigged out like, whoa, you know, there's so much to focus on. So do you practice that with your students? I do. Mm -hmm. I do. And I even teach my students in group lessons how to conduct. Yes, I do too. Yes. We do games um, with conducting where they even have opportunities to to practice conducting so they can learn how to do that because I think that's important because pianists really don't get it. They don't even know. They just don't know what that is unless they play another instrument or in band or orchestra and not very many of them are. So yeah. it's just it's just important for them to know how to do it. On a side note, <clears throat> that's how I introduce an upbeat. That's my trigger for introducing conducting because you know, they start conducting and said, oh, what happened on beat four? Which direction did you go? Up. Oh, okay. Well, that's called an upbeat. So guess what this is called? The downbeat. So it's, you know, it makes the vocabulary make sense suddenly. Very good. I think that's really important. It is. But yes, it reminds me to do it more often as well. You know, even if they're playing a solo, I still conduct. I play along with them. We work with a metronome, all that kind of stuff, but also just seeing, watching someone wave their hand in front of you is not a bad thing either. No, it's not. And you know what? That's, it's a tricky, it's a tricky thing because students aren't used to that, especially most, um, most students have upright pianos. I would say My, a lot of mine have grand pianos, but I would say the majority of students don't they, a lot of them have digital pianos today. Okay. So they're looking at a wall when they practice, right? So they're not used to seeing anything else. So they have to be get used to, you know, looking at something else when they, when they practice. So um, it's good for them to do that. And part of what they have to do, at least in our groups, is when they submit the recordings, they have to play with the metronome. They're required to do that with the metronome. And if they can't play with the metronome, they'll have to submit a new recording proving that they can do it at the right tempo or they won't be able to play. Wow, okay. I like that. I think that's really, I call that proficiency. That's in my practice world, there's survive, there's learn, and then there's proficient. And proficient means that you can play the piece with the metronome with zero errors or as few errors as possible, which I think is really important. And well, even though it sounds like it's a tyrant type assignment, 
I don't do it until we know that they're ready to try it, you know, and then it's a fun challenge. Can you play this at a steady tempo? You know, my students play with the metronome all the time. So it's not, that's not a problem for them because they do it. That's not a big deal. But what they're going to have a hard time this year is um, moving it up early. So in general, my students in the past have um, prepared their ensemble pieces in the month of January and then shown up for their practices prepared. This year, they have to have their pieces and submit the recordings January 6th. <laughs> so they're going to have to have their ensemble pieces ready before Christmas break. Right. At the same time as their Christmas piece Ooh. and right after doing a whole bunch of other things. That will be the challenge for me this year. Yes. So, okay. Why not? So that, that will be my fun, my fun challenge. So I might just have to assign them pieces two levels lower. There you go. I know. Than normal instead of one. And okay, well, and that's kind of nice because, you know, if there's different levels, then you students aren't required to be up a level from year to year, right? Yes. But that doesn't matter. Actually, I, I'm so not into the leveling thing. Okay. For our ensemble, they, we do level, we do groups one, two, three, four, five, six. I just, I don't care. I don't even tell my students those things because I think they're silly. Um, but we do have groups, we have a parent-child group, so kids can play with their parents or with their older siblings if they want to, which is kind of nice. And um, you can, you know, and you, each teacher has to enter uh, groups together, like, when I submit my um, my roster of students, I have to do all of them in pairs. Is how I submit it all together. So, and how that works is I and I pay all the fees. So I gather all the fees for my students first, and then I submit them all online, and then enter them all. We'll be right back. Hi teachers, it's Tim here from Top Music. I'm proud to be a supporter of Leela's show and wanted to take a moment to let you know about an amazing community of piano teachers ready to welcome you over at Top Music Pro. Top Music Pro is the global hub for piano teachers looking to connect, learn, grow, and be challenged in both their teaching and studio businesses. Community members save time by accessing hundreds of step-by-step lesson plans, creative teaching frameworks, business guides, online courses, and workshops. We offer training in topics as diverse as piano technique, lead sheets, website building, intermediate repertoire, group teaching, and special needs teaching. We also save you money through our extensive discounts with Music Notes, Sheet Music Plus, Music Room, Office Depot, Tonebase, and many more. And if you like sheet music, all our members get a free book of studio-licensed, beautifully engraved sheet music each and every month. So, come and check out the Top Music Pro community free for 14 days on our full access studio plan by heading to topmusicpro.com and using the coupon code TEAMLILA. That's all one word. Don't tell anyone, but there's also a surprise discount waiting for you when you click join now. I can't wait to welcome you inside. Okay, so one more question and then we'll get started with our list because we're going to... Uh, we're going to bombard people with a huge list of pieces that they're all going to want. So a lot of people want to know, how do you fund your music purchases? Because it's buying a lot of music, right? So how do you manage that in your studio? Well, I charge a registration fee for my students, um, which covers what they need to do for the whole year. My registration fee is $180 for the year. Um, I had to, I went up quite a bit 
this year, like 150 to 180. It's still a bargain if they do everything that I offer in club piano. Um, but that allows them to do everything I offer. And um, that gives them the, that covers their um, ensemble fees. It does not cover um, special music for them. It covers music from my um, lending library. So I have thousands of pieces of music that I loan out all the time. But if they want um, their method pieces or music for their own library, they all purchase that themselves. Their ensemble music, they all have to buy themselves. And, and I, um, I just send them a link for, for things like that. So each student has to purchase their own music for the ensemble. Um, but I just send them a link for that. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And then how do you organize all your music? I know I just saw you on Instagram and you were spending six hours organizing things. I was highly impressed. I have, I have some filing cabinets. So I have a, I have a filing cabinet with all the music I use all the time. And then I have some cool magazine racks that I put right behind my piano where my students can come choose just fun music that they want that's sitting out. And then I have, um, filing cabinets that have just Halloween music. And then I have a filing cabinet that's dedicated just to duets and one that's dedicated just to um, Christmas and one just to Christmas duets. <laughs> okay. Wow. Okay. So all your Halloween music is in one place. Yeah. So I keep some of those special things in separate in separate places. Okay. Cause sometimes I find a Halloween piece in what a general book. Yes. So my system is I put a little post-it on it and put H so that I can easily find it, you know, in another book. Yeah, I have those too. And then I try to remember where they are and I don't always remember. I know. That's hard. Yes. And what what I've learned is now I have a good uh, Christmas stash, which we were going to add Christmas to this episode, but wait a minute, we're going to do another one because we have too many, too many things to talk about with Christmas. But I noticed that last year I was on top of it and I repurchased things that I needed for my library right away. You know, I made notes and now Halloween, I'm missing three of my most important books because guess what? I forgot to reorder them. So, you know, I think I need to have a little bit of better system. Once I get rid of something, make sure I um, update my library again. I know. I, you know what? I used to be pretty organized and keep a list of things and I just quit doing it because it was too much work. So, you know, who the queen of organizing is, is Amy Chaplin. So if you want to be the queen of that, she's the person to talk to. She organizes all that. I am not so great at that. I agree. But, you know, it's not too bad if, okay, I know that I just gave away my, this last book. Just write it down. And then, you know, if I keep that little list, that's not that big of a deal for me to just go reorder then. So it's more of just taking a few notes, just jotting down a few things. And then um, I save myself a lot of hassle. And the sticky notes, right? Yes. Sticky notes. Love them. All right. Are we ready to move forward with our list? Let's do it. So I was going to show some of my favorite um, ensemble pieces. Okay. And I thought we'd go by level. So I've got three early elementary okay. um, pieces. And Night's Quest is one of my faves. It's by Wendy Stevens. And um, you know what's super fun about this one? It's... Um, <laughs> 
that's your secondo part. It's it's great. It's a nice, I won't say boy piece because girls like this one too. Okay. But it's got this cool knight on the on the front. You can see these damsels in distress, you know. It's just a very cool sounding piece. Well, Wendy, I like that that's the secundo part. That's really interesting to me. You know, that grabbed my attention right away. Right. And then the well and the primo, you know, primo. There's your primo. And then marching on they're marching to a fight to the battle so it's kind of it's it's really great um also mary leaf um has some wonderful um pieces the next book i wanted to talk about was um two to play book one mm -hmm. and she has several in this book um old west trail these are all um also equal part duets um, here's a secondo part, um, but the primo, it's just kind of a nice little walking down the trail. Right. Happy. It's, you can go faster, you can go slower. And this whole book is full of equal part duets. There's several in three, four time, in the three quarter time, which we um, we usually don't do unless you have our students do them one on one, just because that three quarter time they just can't seem to <laughs> they can't seem to count that very well. Right. Yeah, that's lovely. Okay, and then the last early elementary book I want to talk about is not equal part but it's fantastic for teacher students oh, okay. or teenage uh, siblings and um, their younger brothers or sisters. And it's called Sparklers by um, Susan Ogilvy. I've had several students play in this book. I happen to love it. The, um, the duets are fantastic. I just had two brothers play this piece called Friends Are Forever. And the older the older brother just graduated from high school. And the Sakano part. That was his part and his little brother, who was, I think, 10. Nice. It was really sweet. Friends Forever. And um, it was just a nice... Just a nice way for them to, you know, end, <laughs> you know, for senior year. But they have, there's a great arrangement of um, Pop Goes the, we the Weasel. And then there's even a really cool, this fresh roasted peanuts. This time the secondo part um, is the easier part. But the primo gets this really cool. fun so this oh, i love this whole series so the sparklers um there's 16 pieces in that set wow okay so those are three early elementary ones um i have two um sheet musics of there's a bullfrog song now what's kind of nice about this one of course articulation is wonderful You've got the ribbit, but it has a nice, um, 
secondo part that you can have as a teacher duet, or you can have a, it's about level three for that secondo part. You doesn't have to be a teacher for that bullfrog. And then along the Blackfoot River, this is um, another Mary Leaf. She's just terrific. This one is equal part duet. And here's what we've also noticed in our ensemble. Sometimes the pieces are too short. So we add repeats sometimes mm -hmm. in them to make them a little bit longer. Great, because it's two for one, right? You're learning it and then you get to repeat it, so. Right, so we'll play, like in this one, we did eight measures and then we played, um, had the kids do, you know, measures 10 through 24 and then we repeated that section again. So it would be just a little bit longer. And it's, a, it's just a nice. It's, it's a nice um, African, not African, um, Native American kind of sounding piece. Right. So for our listeners sake, don't worry, we have all of this information on a handout, a download that you can download and has all the links to the sheet music and most everything, we have a link to a video as well. So you can hear the whole thing. Yes, we do. Mm -hmm. Okay, we're gonna jump ahead to, um, let's see. Oh, I have grand piano duets. Okay. Oh yes, I can't underline that one enough. I totally get where you're going here. This one is just rock solid all the way These through. These are great. I, I just love this Grand Piano Duets. Melody Bober rocks. And she has several of these Grand Piano Duets. I didn't list all of them. This is just book two. Um, book one, I know our ensemble has done every single song in book one. <laughs> every single one. And book two, I think we've done all of them in book two as well. Yeah. So um, Melody Bober happens to be one of our favorite ensemble um, composers. She just, has, she just is excellent. So... Um, She's got one, oh, a Frightful Night duet is excellent. You could do for Halloween if you wanted yes. to do it. Um, let's see. I think I highlighted the Main Street Parade in here. And it's, um, gosh, it's it's fantastic. Let's see if I can find it. Oh, here you go. Um, both hands kind of cross each other. It goes quite fast. And I think we've even added some repeats in here just to make it a little bit longer, but everyone, every piece in that book is excellent. Um, the next one that I wanted to talk about was um, another excellent selection is uh, Celebrated Piano Duets. It's a little harder. They're um, Robert Vandals. Oh, yes. He was so wonderful. Um, his music is so accessible and his hands were a little smaller so he wrote pieces that could fit small hands and they're just easy to grab everything central park ride happens to be my favorite it just it's just so nice the articulation is lovely um it's a great way to talk about balance learning, you know, where the melody is, where the melody, you know, where the melody is not. Village Dance is also wonderful. It's a little bit harder. <clears throat> it's an A minor. It would be great at Halloween time as well, even 
though the title's not very, you know, um, and that's what I was going to say too. I, a lot of times just a minor piece is good enough for kids for Halloween, right? Yeah. You know? Yes, for sure. For sure. Um, Cricket and the Bullfrog is another great one. This is sheet music uh, by Jean Costello and um, the Secondo. I, this is super cute. Lots of accents in there. And then the Primo has this little cricket. Yeah. It's very descriptive sounding. I just think that one's super fun. Fun. Okay, so as we get a little higher, um, we're going to listen to some um, circus pieces. I've got two different books for you. Circus Celebration by Kristen Allred. She's got Mysterious um, Magician and sunset, circus, um, sunset at the Circus. And they're both really, really nice oh. pieces. Yeah, so I'm gonna actually play a little bit of um, this one for you so you can hear what this sounds like. So that was a recording of actually um, both parts. It gets the whole piano going, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It's very kind of, it's a little spooky sounding, I think, mm -hmm. kind of fun. And then um, her other one that she has, um, The Sunset at the Circus, this recording is actually um, her playing it herself, which is kind of nice. And I really like it a lot. I've just recently encountered her music and I'm really happy with it. I went to school with her. Oh, fun. She is terrific. We taught some classes together at the conservatory. So that was a little bit of yeah. Sunset at the Circus. Was that a nice piece? It is, yes. Yeah, I really like that one too. Okay, now Circus Ringmaster. Oh my gosh, this one's really fun. I, we played this one for our ensemble. Um, it's got lots of 16th notes in there. So, and lot, um, so you've got to have kids who've got some pretty good facility to play those 16th notes. Mm -hmm. And um, but it's really fun. This is a Carolyn Miller. She's got some really good music out there. She does. Um, she's pretty, she's pretty great. I like a lot of her things. Mm -hmm. um, let's see. It's fun to be able to hear so many of these. So there's a little bit of that one for you. Love it. Isn't that great? Yes. Uh, then we've got the Sneaky Fox Boogie. 
Ooh, I just kind of like it because it's sneaky. Yeah, I love the title. That's your secondo and then Primo comes in. It's funny that, so the video that I've linked into this one, there's a, a, a different group, I think it's at um, Southern Methodist University and their ensemble group, they've got a, a, a drum set and they, they're playing this for about 20 measures. <laughs> and the, the kids are creeping in. Oh, fun. So, oh, watch the stage. It's very, it's very cute. And eventually the primos come in with, it's very cute. I like that idea. It's a very cute piece. So that one's terrific. Um, another great, Gypsy Dance is another early intermediate one by um, Robert Vandal. Pause a minute and let everybody know too that we have divided these up into levels. So we are starting from elementary, we just finished late elementary, now we're into early intermediate. Yes, we are. Now, um, Robert Vandal's pieces sometimes, you know, I always tell my students this, sometimes, you know, <laughs> they, um, they spread the music out and make it look like it's easier than it is. Um, this gypsy dance is, um, it's pretty fast. It's both pretty fast. And when the students first look at it, they think, oh, it's, that's not intermediate. Uh, yeah, it, it is. It goes pretty fast. Now the secondo cruises along it. Very fun. Very exciting. Actually, I don't know if you have it on your copy or not, but I have one book listed in this group right here, the In Recitals Duets, Volume 1, Book 4. Do you happen to have that on your list or no? Um, oh, I missed that one. I think that, that one's even in there, too. I huh? totally missed. I'm sorry. You go talk about that one. Yeah, yeah, no, you're fine. I just thought, oh. I haven't talked about this. So this is, yes, like I said, In Recital Duets, Volume 1, Book 4. So there's various composers. And I discovered this book when I had adult students who were very capable players, but they were qu getting qu quite along in age. And so chronologically challenged, let's put it that way. So I had to find things that they would enjoy playing, <clears throat> perhaps using their ear quite a bit. But this book just had a lot of winners for them. And one of the one of their favorites was the Havanag. Nagila, I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, but the secundo does the boom chuck. Sorry, yes. Yeah, so. And then. So you can imagine how that just grows in energy. So. Just a really fun one, has lots of energy with it. And then there's another one in here. Well, there's St. Louis Blues, which is a fun one. Got to count with that one. The Ina Klein and Noct music, which is really fun because, again, that's familiar. And then the other one that is a big hit in this book is the two guitars. So that a little bit of a tango. I think that's a great book. It has enough in there to satisfy a lot of different tastes, but it also is familiar type of pieces, which is always good, especially for 
people who maybe play a little bit more by ear than uh, than they should. I think that's really important, especially yeah. the, those adult um, those adult students love to do things like that. Mm -hmm. My students love actually to play a lot of the Disney pieces too. And there's some really, I didn't actually pull up my Disney ones. I don't know why oh. I pulled those out, but there's some really great Disney arrangements out there too. Do you mind sharing a few in the list? Even if we don't talk about them here, that might be nice. Yeah. To we'll be back with the second half of our conversation about ensemble repertoire in episode number 50. Thank you for your patience with the sound. Turns out that what I thought would be a great platform for recording interviews was a big disappointment. And for about a day, I thought the recording of my chat with Charlene had failed. I could hardly stomach telling her. So today's episode is an almost lost and not so perfect version of our conversation. And while I'm on the topic of podcasting, and for those who may be curious, I began Key Ideas as a fresh way to blog, and I'm grateful to you listeners out there for validating this bucket list endeavor. A few sales come my way from it, but I mean just a few, and that's not the purpose of it. I take off several weeks of teaching to write, record, and edit episodes, and hire Drew to help with production. Key Ideas is purely a labor of passion, and guests like Charlene are kind enough to share in that passion without compensation. So if you are ever in the mood to give back, pay it forward, please subscribe, give Key Ideas a five-star rating, and share the podcast with a friend. Oh, and I'd love to hear from you. Don't forget to head to the show notes for the downloadable list Charlene and I have cooked up for you. As my very patient and tolerant podcast editor and friend Drew says, the end and amen. <laughs> I'm Leela Viss, and holding fast to my mantra, genuine over perfect. See you in the trenches. <laughs>